Evening, everybody. We'll be in Romans 8. If you want to turn there in your Bibles while I get kind of settled here. Romans 8. We've got kind of an interesting couple weekends coming up here that are a little busy. Got the wedding this Saturday, sometime, 1 o'clock or something like that, I'll be here. I know, I like to just, you know, just a little bit right beforehand. And then Sunday, we have packing, no, not that's, yeah, that's a week. Just, we have the memorial service at 4, okay, that one's, so I guess it's not that busy. And then the next week, though, is packing party then we have potluck and we have baptism the next week. So a couple busy ones. Anything else I'm forgetting? Okay. That's, that's my helpers. Yeah, you probably are. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right. Romans chapter 8. Unlike the guys that are not helping me, this chapter does help you. If you want to title it, it would be assurance. That's all Paul is trying to get at today in, chapter, in, this, in this chapter tonight is assurance. He has been taking us, and he's just amazing the way he writes. The way he, has, he obviously had a commanding grasp of his faith, which I'm not so sure I have a commanding grasp of my faith a lot of times. Sometimes I kind of I toggle between certain ideas and thoughts and issues and things, and, and he has no doubts of where he stands, what he's made for, what he's called to, and then he just can write it down in a way for us to understand it. Now, he doesn't simplify it. He doesn't dumb it down, which I'm glad. Um, he writes it, obviously, from su- in such a way that it takes some digging. It takes some study. Um, it is a simple faith. It is a comprehensive faith, um, but he gives us a detailed analysis of it, and I love it. Spirit-filled, detailed analysis. I don't know how many people can do that. Spirit-filled and detailed um, at the same time, but he does, and that's what just chapter 8. Last week in chapter 7, he leaves us with the struggle that we all have and that he had, past tense, of struggling between the flesh and the spirit, this warring that goes on. Why don't I do the things I want to do and the things I don't want to do? Those are the things I do. And everybody in Rome said, hallelujah, You just said what I was afraid to say at church, you know, and that's where we all are. We can all be there. And then he says, who's going to deliver me? Who's going to deliver me? A wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will deliver me is the idea. Not how, not what method, not what system, but who, who, and it's Jesus. And that's what chapter eight's about. Chapter 8 takes us to the person of Jesus Christ, to the filling of His Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only are we in Christ, but He is in us. And that is how we are delivered in this person of Jesus Christ. We're delivered. And so that's what chapter 8 is all about. It really is. He says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no one who has any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That comma there, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, muddies it a little bit, but shouldn't. 
we think, most people think, that that second part of chapter 1 or verse 1 was actually added later on because the original manuscripts don't have that portion in it. It says it later on, but it's not really in that verse 1. But it doesn't matter. Let's leave it there. Let's not be one of those people that says, this is uncomfortable. Let's black it out. No, I wouldn't go that far. But I do know this. He says, therefore... Because of everything I've told you, because that Christ is the head. That's what we left off with in chapter 7. Christ is the head, and we are the body. Sometimes we get confused about that, but that's literally taken place. We've got a, a mental transplant that's taken place, and we have now the mind of Christ, and the church is simply his body. Therefore, no matter where Christ's head is, the rest of us go with him. And if he is ascended, we go with him. We may not be there yet, but we are his body and he is the head. And wherever the head is, that's where we are. This is something that we have to get down into the deepest part of our walk with Jesus Christ and our deepest part of our hearts to understand that, that it's a done deal. It's past tense. We're saved. We we're going to be saved. We were saved. We are saved. I don't care what kind. You put, it's happened. We're saved in Jesus Christ. I'm going to heaven. When I die, I'm going to heaven. That's in the past. I don't have any doubts about that. It hasn't happened yet, but my understanding is is that the head is already there. My head, Jesus Christ, is already there. The body will follow. just hasn't got there yet. Imagine a slow motion photograph of somebody coming out of the water, and all you see is the head first, but eventually you know what's coming afterwards. It just hasn't happened yet. That's what's happening with me, with you, anybody in the body of Christ. We're going there. Paul says, therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If I'm in him, he can't be condemned. God can't condemn Jesus Christ. And if I'm in him, he can't condemn me. People get concerned about that. They get worried about that. There, there is now, therefore, not as much condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's kind of how we think of it sometimes. There's just not quite a, as much as there used to be. We're better. That's not what it says. There is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. I'm in him. I'm hidden in him. He's also in me, he's going to declare later on. But it's a done deal. It's a fact. And we'll get into that part second. It's from that understanding that I'm saved. God so wants to put that in the rearview mirror for us so that we can actually walk pure holy lives now. Without that evil that we bring with it, when we don't understand that we're already saved. I'm trying to make this as clear as mud for you, or clarify it as much as I can. That when I try to get to heaven by being better today than I was yesterday, I bring with it evil. So no matter what I do that's good, I don't care how many old ladies I walk across the street, I don't care how much food I hand out, I don't know how many times I witness to different people in need, If I come from it with the heart of, I hope this makes me more acceptable to God, I never say that out loud, but that's the motive behind it. I'm going to do better today than I did yesterday. I bring with it evil because it's for me. It's not for them. It's not for God. It's for me. And I've ruined it. No matter what I did, it's become ruined, tainted, flawed, because I brought with it my motivation of being better, being more accepted being pleasing in the flesh. 
I can't bring with it my flesh. I've got to work. And so, God, trying to take all that out of the way, you're saved. Now live. Live for me. You're saved. That's done. You're accepted. You're pure. There's no condemnation for those who are in me. Now live. Now I can live and actually bring some fruit. Now I can actually bring the fruit of the Spirit into this world. Now I can actually do some good in this world. I can actually bring people to God with pure motives. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Simply put, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're doing spiritual things and you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. A dead man can't be condemned. Look how he continues on here in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, all sin. All sin, period, sin, sin nature condemned in the flesh. He condemned it when he showed up that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There it is. That's where it was originally intended to be. And we think the scribe put it up there also, thinking it would help. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Now let's break this down a little bit before we go on. For the law, there's a new law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And that is the other law that we're reading on Sunday mornings. That's the law he's talking about here. I've been set free from that. I don't know if we quite grasp that or not, but I'm set free from that. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, I made it weak. Nothing wrong with the law. Again, not putting it down, but it didn't do any good for me. I was trying to think of a good example of this, and there were so many kind of abstract, strange things that I've experienced in my own life. I'm not sure how many of you have ever experienced it. So it won't play well. You'll, a lot of you have never worked with a ratchet strap before. You ever worked with a ratchet strap before, and the more you do it, right, it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter, and that's a good thing. But try to pull it the other way, and it's no good, and that's kind of what the law did. Guilty, guilty, guilty but I'm going to be really good. That's fine, but we can't go back. We can't go back and undo what we've already done. All you can do, and you tighten more. I had a situation when I was in high school. thought it was funny to tie the two seatbelts in the back seat together because I was in the middle, not thinking clearly. And they get tight. And they only get loose if you give them a little slack. And there was no slack to give, and so I start sweating profusely because I get a little claustrophobic when I can't get out of something. Roll me up in a carpet, you're going to see one angry person. Well, this thing kept getting tighter and tighter, and there was no relief. That's the law. It's not designed to give relief. It's only designed to tighten. That's all it can do. We've been set free from that. It can no longer hold us. It no longer has power over us. Death would be the power. The law of sin can only execute death. Breakers that in no way could bring life. When the law came down with Moses, remember what happened? All he did was show up with it. 
on the Ten Commandments. He came down and what, what was happening already down there. Before they'd ever read the stones, they were already breaking them and 3,000 people died that day when he brought the law down. That's all it can do. There's nothing wrong with it. He just showed up with it and all of a sudden 3,000 people were guilty and died that day. On the other hand, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 in the upper room and they came out and Peter gave his first sermon, does anybody know how many people got saved that day? 3,000 people. Life. See, the Spirit brings life. The law brings death. Nothing wrong with either of them. It's what they do. But if I continue to live after the law, trying to come close to God based off of the law, or stand before the law, I'm guilty, dead, that's it. I'm done. But on the other hand, when I come to Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, life. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the flesh completely, but sinful flesh like on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us. It doesn't say by us. The righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in us through Christ but never by us. He's very careful with his words. Those two-letter words were very important the way Paul writes that. He means what he says and says what he means. Christ fulfilled the law in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, we've been saved. Those who haven't been saved, those who haven't trusted in Jesus, they're in trouble. That's what he means. They're still walking after the flesh. The big struggle, I think, that I see, when you get saved, when you get born again, hopefully you've experienced this, the world looks funny. It doesn't look the same as it used to. Everything's strange. I feel very, and every day more, foreign to this world. The closer I get to Christ and the further away the world gets from God, it's very obvious I don't belong here. I don't understand my leadership that's been placed over me. I don't understand my government. I don't understand the way people think. I don't think like they do. It's very hard even for me to fellowship with people. I do my best that aren't spirit-filled, that don't walk in the spirit. We don't think the same way. Even Christians sometimes, you'll be talking to them, they're saved, but they're not spirit-filled. And so when you're talking, it's very, it's different because our fellowship is in the spirit. It's not in anything else. I can't fellowship in the flesh. I can only fellowship in the Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit isn't meeting me from the other side, it's very strange. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't recuse me from trying and doing, and I need to, like Paul did, like all the brothers and sisters did in the Bible. They all met the world. They all talked with the world. They all interacted with the world. They weren't of the world, but they were in it. But I have to understand that, that I need to meet them. We don't relate, and I can't share spiritual things with that person and expect that person to understand the spiritual things I'm sharing when they're not spirit-filled. These are spiritually discerned. So when he says that he's fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit, there's a division, there's a strange thing that takes place in this world. There's saved and there's unsaved. There's no more male, there's no more female, there's no more Gentile, there's no more Jew, but there are saved and unsaved. There are spirit-filled and there are those who aren't spirit-filled, and there's a difference. 
when a person looks at an ape and they identify more with the ape than they do with God, that tells you something. I can see where we could come from, those guys. That's understandable. In the flesh, only concerned with yourself, with your own fleshly appetite, appetites, you can look at an ape in a cage and you can see that. Yep, they're concerned with one thing. Well, they're concerned with several things. Procreation, be one of them. Eating, cleanliness. They like to pick at each other. But it's all about the flesh. Not, not a, there's a, just a vacant eye when you look at them from a spiritual standpoint. You're looking at them, it's like, okay. They're mentally there, they're physically there, but there's nothing spiritual about these things. But if you're in the flesh and you're not born again and you haven't been spirit-filled and you haven't trusted in Jesus for your salvation, they make sense. I'm just a little bit higher than that one, but not too far. And so that makes sense, Darwinism evolution. That's what the world thinks. That's why the world thinks the way they do. I don't identify with this God. I cannot understand that. I don't invisible man. This whole, it's just so spiritual. I don't get it. That I get. And you understand that. On the other hand, I identify far more with Jesus Christ than I do with those apes as a born again believer in Jesus Christ, spirit filled. I totally get where he's coming from. I totally understand. And I so want to be where he is. I want to be like him. I don't want to be like that. And that's the distinction you'll see in the world. There are so many that just want to live after the appetites of the flesh versus those that want to live after God, after Christ. There's a a division there. Those who are walking according to the Spirit, those who are walking according to the flesh. That's all they can think about. That's how you know. Am I Spirit-filled? I don't know. What do you talk about most of the time? Do you talk about diets? talk about sex? Do you talk about what you're going to do this Friday? Do you talk about the game? Is that, the, is that your conversation? Is that what consumes your mind? Is that where your mind is on those things? How do people see me? Do they like me? Am I pretty? Am I ugly? Am I fit? Am I not? Are you thinking about the fleshly things or do you think about spiritual things? Is your mind there? Where do you think about God? Where do you think about life? Where you think about beyond death, when you think about relationship with Christ, you think about people's heart. That's the difference. For those that are on that side of things, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There are carnal Christians out there. They're perhaps saved. I have no idea but they proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior, yet they live like they're not. And there's hope, but they need to be spirit-filled. Maybe you're one of those people. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that one of you out there needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. It needs to walk after the Spirit, and they know it, and you know it. You need to do it. That's something you do. That's something you ask for. That's something you wait for. something you allow to happen. But there is no condemnation. Paul wants them to have that assurance. The strange thing that's taken place in your lives, you folks in Romans, the things that look strange to you now in Rome, the things that used to be normal aren't normal anymore. That desire in your heart to live for God and to not live after the flesh, that's normal. 
That's the spirit alive in you, working you towards that other side. And it is, you know, when you first get saved, you're this close to the flesh. And as you get walk with the Lord longer and longer, you get further and further away from that flesh. You don't longer meet those appetites anymore. They don't consume your mind and your thoughts anymore. You walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. No matter what they say, it doesn't matter how many good deeds they do, they're doing them because of themselves. They're carnally minded. They think people are watching. They think people are going to be pleased. They're going to get kudos from those around them, slaps on the back, thank yous. I'm all for letting another man's lips praise me. And I think you should be too. Let another man's lips praise you. That's okay. But when you're doing it for that, you're in danger. Because once you get the slap on the back, that's all you get. There's nothing in heaven waiting for that good deed. There's nothing treasured up in heaven once you've received that thanks that you've been looking for. That's what you do when nobody's looking. That'll tell you where you are. Because that's the question. Well, I don't know where I'm at on that thing. I think I'm spiritual. I think I'm just going to pretend like I am tonight and nod and agree and I'm going to read the Word of God and I'm going to walk out of here, but I'm wondering. I really don't know. What do you do when no one's around? What consumes your mind when no one's around? Do you think about God? Do you pray? Is it something that naturally comes out of you? Do you, do you, do you scramble for the Bible when you have a question or when you're wondering? Do you long for fellowship with God or you don't? And you can't wait for them to leave so that you can go do what you really want to do. So you don't have to pretend anymore. So that you can go out and watch what you want to watch. You can drink what you want to drink. You can smoke what you want to smoke. You can think about what you want to think about. You just want to get away from it all so that you can go do that. I mean, you may as well be honest with yourself where you stand. That's who you are. You're in the flesh. Or that's who you are. You're in the spirit. Now, the good news is you can change that. I do. I think about the flesh all the time. That's all I think about is fleshly things. I kind of tack Jesus onto all those fleshly things, but that's all I think about is the appetites of the flesh. I think about what I'm going to eat. I think about what I'm going to do. I think about how much money I'm going to make. I think about this side of the other thing. Change it. It's up to you. Say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't want to be like that. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be a new creation in Christ. I don't want to be an old creation with Jesus stapled to me. I want to be a new creation in Christ. I want to be born again. Fill me with your spirit. I want to fill my life with spiritual things. I want to fill my mind with spiritual things, not with the carnal things. I don't want to be ruled by my flesh. When it's hungry, I can't help myself. I just go to the fridge. I want to be able to say no. I want to have command over this. Christians, uh, any person, a human being is 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 a trinity. Like God is a trinity. We were made in his image. And if there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we're one also. You've got your mind, you've got your flesh, and you've got the spirit. Your mind is your intellect. That's where your mind, that's the battleground, isn't it? That's where the war takes place. And then you've got your flesh that tells your mind what it's going to do. 
And it has for years until you got saved. Then you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You're born again. You're a new creation. Now you've got this other warring entity that wasn't there before. And the spirit and the flesh are at war. That's what he described in chapter 7. And it's whoever's on top. It's whoever's on top. Flesh is always there. Always tempting, always luring, always making a lot of noise. You're hungry. You know, sin, whatever it is. You know, I pick on hunger because that's one of the appetites of the flesh, but there's lots of them. And the Spirit is saying, no, no. Those things are temporary. Make these, lo- make these stones into loaves of bread. And he's starving to death. Jesus was starving to death. 40 days without any food. He's starving to death. And he says, make some bread. You can do it. I can, but bread, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the difference. That's being spiritually minded and not fleshly minded. Fleshly minded would say, yes, I will miraculously turn these stones into bread and that will be a miracle. And that's kind of spiritual. And then I won't be hungry anymore. But he's thinking after the flesh. And so Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do what my flesh wants me to do. And I'm not going to do what Satan wants me to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I'm not going to eat. That's the difference. Are you spiritually governed or are you fleshly governed? Who governs? Who rules? We want it to be the Spirit. And that takes power. That takes not willed power. Don't misunderstand me. That takes God's power to be spiritually minded. God help me. God do it. What he's going to go through in chapter 8, the second half, is what God does for us. And he does it all. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is also the author and finisher of your walk. He's also the one who brings you maturity in Christ. He's the one that's conforming you into the image of Christ. None of us have anything to do with any of that. We just have to cooperate. That's, if, if you're going to be in a classroom, God, the teacher will teach you everything you need to know, but you need to cooperate if you're going to learn. He's got all the knowledge, he's got all the skills, and he'll make sure that you get it but you need to cooperate. Cooperation. So, the carnal mind is enmity against God. Not at God. He, it is, and it is against the Lord. It is against everything he wants to do. It does not want to be ruled. It does not want to have any authority over it. It doesn't, doesn't want to be. It's constantly pushing against the Spirit of God in your life. Because it's not subject to the law. It will not be submissive to the law of God. But the Spirit is. Automatically the Spirit is. The Spirit is automatically in submission to God. How do I stop sinning? Let the Spirit lead you. Follow the Spirit. Let the Spirit govern in your life. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let Him rule. And you'll never sin. (laughs) It's amazing. So why do I sin? Because you let the flesh rule. Here's the difference. The difference is you never had a choice before. You were the ape in the cage. You just did what your flesh told you to do. There wasn't any battle. But now you've been born again. Now you're a new creation in Christ. Now you have the Holy Spirit in you telling you, no, 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 no. Don't do that. No, let me rule. Let me let you. I'm going to lead you exactly where you need to be. I'm going to show you where to go. I'm going to help you grow. Just submit. Just submit. And that's a daily decision. 
Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's important. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not his. What does that tell you about every other religion in the world that's supposed to be another way to God? All religions, all those roads lead to God. They can't possibly if this scripture is true. And if this scripture isn't true, then Christ isn't true, and Christ isn't the way to God, and all others are. You can't have it both ways. You cannot throw Jesus Christ into this coexist bumper sticker. It doesn't work. You have to take the cross out because the cross is exclusive. It says, I am the only way to the Father. And those who do not have the Spirit of Christ, they're not His. So those that reject Jesus Christ are not His. Those that say they don't need Christ are not his. That's simply put. Now, on the other hand, if you're in that other camp that says, well, I think that's pretty bigoted. I think that's pretty, that's fine. Believe that, but you can't have Jesus then. You have to throw Jesus Christ completely out of the mix and all other religions are right and Christianity is the only one that is wrong. You can't have it both ways. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, that body is dead. Christ, the Holy Spirit, led us to Christ, right? We are baptized into Christ by the Spirit. We know that. Then there's another baptism, though then Christ baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That's the whole, we are now in him and now he is in us. That's that spirit. That's what happens. The first one is John's baptism. The spirit brings us to Christ. The second one is Christ's baptism. He brings us into the spirit. The spirit dwells in us. Now, if Christ died on the cross, then we died with him and our body is dead. Don't have to worry about that anymore. We live in the spirit. We walk in the spirit. These things are spiritually discerned. These things are spiritually accomplished. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's supposed to bring assurance. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you, then you shall rise from the dead also. It's assurance. So if I have the spirit of Christ... There I go. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. I don't owe the flesh a thing to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit? Are you led? Does it cross your mind to pray about things before, not after? First, not last. Seeking the Lord's will, seeking God's will, seeking Christ's will, finding out what the Spirit wants me to do before I even go down that road is what we're called to do as Christians. That means we're His. So many people bring Him in at the last minute, you know, the 12th hour, you know, or the 11th hour, I guess is what they call it, the 11th hour. Well, we've tried everything else. We better bring in a prayer. Let's bring the prayer team in. 
should have been done first. We've got an opportunity. Someone called about this land over here, 13 acres for sale, this bean field right over here to the east. Called. I hadn't thought about that. Why do you need more land? I don't know. But I think we need it. But I don't know. What do you need all that land for? I don't know. No idea. And that's why we've got to seek the mind of Christ on it. What do you want us to do, God? Do you want us to get that land or do you not want us to get that land? We haven't even used the land we've already got. I know. I know. But I'm not going to make a decision based on facts. I'm not going to make a decision based on outward. I'm not going to make a decision based off of what I see. I don't know what God wants to do 50 years from now when I'm dead. I have no idea what he wants to do. But I need to live now according to his will, by his spirit. I want to be led of the spirit. Why did this pop up? Why was the phone call given? Why is it now? Does it matter? Is it a distraction? Or is it something, you know, what? So we bring in the prayer team now. And that's why I brought it up tonight. Please pray that the leadership in this fellowship would have the mind of Christ and know what to do about this, whether to throw it out and say, eh, no big deal, we don't need it, we don't want it. God doesn't want it. Or, yep, please pray. Now, not later. We need the prayer now. Because it doesn't make physical sense. We don't need to, we got another soccer field? What are you going to do with all that? You know, I don't know. Let it grow into trees, I guess. We'll have our own little forest over there. I don't know what he wants to do. But I don't have to know that, and I don't have to answer that question. All I need to know is what is God as his servant? God, what do you want me to do? What's best? What's your plan? What's your, what's your thoughts on it? I don't, want, I don't want my thoughts. I don't even care. It's just more to mow as far as I'm concerned. So you seek the Lord first. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life, your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't want to live according to the flesh. We live according to the spirit because the flesh brings death. For as many as are led as spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That just means the same thing. Abba is the same thing as Father. It means it's a little more endearing. I, I don't like the word daddy, but that's kind of what it means. I, I, I don't, my kids don't call me daddy. but um, That's it. Dad, dad. It's very personal. It's not like father, for thou art far away from me. Not that kind of father. But like you'd call your own dad. You know, whatever you call him. Maybe you called him daddy. It'd be that kind of endearment, a term of endearment. That's the idea. The spirit cries out in me, and I feel that way towards God. I know that. That's one of the reasons I know that I am saved and going to heaven is because that happens in me. I think of God that way. I think of him as my father. I think of him as really, really wise, and he's always looking out for my best interests, and I know that he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. I mean, I have all that, and I treat him like that. I have that kind of emotion towards him. I have that kind of mind towards him, that thought. And it cries out, the Holy Spirit cries out. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. It's just one of those proofs is what he's saying. That shows me that I am a child of God when I act like he's my dad. It's just automatic. I just ask him, God, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm just a dumb kid. 
What do you want to do with that land? What do you want to do with the land we have? You know, I don't know what to do with this stuff. So I ask him, I talk to him like he's my dad. And that's proof. The Spirit is bearing witness inside of me that I'm one of his kids. And then that means if I'm one of his kids and I'm a joint heir with Christ, I rule and reign with him. I'm going to be a part of it someday. Hasn't happened yet, but it will. I haven't been picked up yet, but I'm going to be. But I act like it now. That's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about being filled with the Spirit is because now I have victory now over my sin. I know that when I go to heaven, I'm never going to sin again. I know when I go to heaven, there's not going to be any more tears. Everything will be understood. I know all of that. But Christ doesn't want me to wait till then. He wants me to have that now, and that's why the Spirit is in me now. Now I can walk that way. Now none of these things move me. Now I don't count my life dear to myself. Now these things don't bother me. God works all things together for good for those who love Christ and are called according to his person. I mean, it's all there now that happens. I can have that. So we will be glorified with him. Now, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there is some pain and suffering right now. There is some strange things going on. But not when we get to heaven, it's nothing Nothing compared. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In other words, the creation itself. Remember how we're all trying to save the earth? It's true. It needs saving. It does. It's going to wither and fizzle out. It's not going to end well, you know. Our sun is burning out. It's going to burn out whenever. But someday it will. And this place is not going to look the same as it did. And so it earnestly needs to be fixed. And it groans. And we can see that. Just like we groan. Oh, I can't wait till I have my new body. Oh, I can't wait till Christ comes. Oh, I can't wait till I go home with a... Everything is waiting for that to happen. That's the hope. It's been subjected in hope. It hasn't happened yet, but we hope for it to happen. We're waiting for it. We're supposed to live that way. He wants us to live that way. If we see it, it's not hope anymore. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to live by hope. And so we're there and we feel that groaning. It's not right. I'm not right. I don't belong here. Everybody knows in this room we should all be able to fly. Everybody knows it. We've been trying to get in the air. Well, Wright brothers finally did it. Everybody tries to get in the air. We all want to fly. Everybody wants to fly. It's because we're made for it. We're built for it. Our spirits are designed for it. It's these bodies. It's the only thing in the way. Those little things like that, they're kind of quirky maybe for you to hear coming from me, but I think that way. This ain't right. I ain't free. I'm stuck. And as you get older and things start breaking and knees don't work and you're wearing braces on every one of your joints, You know it ain't right, and you can't wait to get rid of the ankle brace, the knee brace, the shoulder brace, the carpal tunnel, the plantar fasciitis. I mean, anything you got. Everybody knows these dumb tents are wearing out. We're ready for an upgrade. Because the spirit is still the same as you were when you were 16. Wants to do all those things. Yes, I want to jump out of an airplane without a chute so I can fly, but I know I need a stupid chute, and I'm also too old to probably have a heart attack on the way down. 
We groan. We desire. We know. I mean, our spirit is always young. It is always ready and willing, but not able because of these bodies. We eagerly, earnestly wait for this. But we've been subjected in hope. He's put us in that position of waiting for it, to rely on him, to trust in him. For we know this, that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. They did a study with kids. They do mean things to kids, I think, sometimes in these studies. But they told the kids, you can have the marshmallow now, or you can wait, and I'll give you five marshmallows when I come back. And the kids are just thinking, well, okay. So they eagerly waited. And you should see him. The video's hilarious to these kids. You'd think that someone had lit their seat on fire. They're just looking at this marshmallow. They're going, oh, you know, oh. They just can't, oh, I can't stop thinking about it. They're just looking at this thing. But they wait. They wait. And when the guy comes back in, he gives them five. And they just, oh, they just, oh you know. That's the idea. We've gotten in a marsh. We've been filled with the Spirit. We've got this marshal, but man, we really want, I want everything. We eagerly wait with hope and anticipation of the promise coming to pass. We will. These kids showed that. It was so funny. And you know what? The kids overseas did better than our kids in America. They did a better job. I don't know what it was. They think the thing, and this is a whole side issue, this is a parenting issue, but they think that parents from other countries, when they say what they say, they mean it and they do it which means our parents sometimes say it, but they don't mean it. And so the trust issue is there, and they don't think they're coming back with the five, so they'll take the one while they got it. A bird in the hand is worth two, or what is that? Yeah, a bird in the hand is worth more than two in the bush. I don't know how that phrase goes or whatever. Interesting. So as a parenting tip, keep your word. Either way, punishment or reward, keep your word. Side issue. We eagerly wait for this. We hope for this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, himself, not itself, the Spirit isn't a force, an entity, something like that. It's him. Makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Ever do that? Sometimes it's tongues. Sometimes it's just groanings. I do this funny thing at night now. I don't know what I wake myself up sometimes, but it's not snoring. I'll be just I'll be thinking about stuff, and I you know I, I got a lot on my mind right now. I mean, who doesn't, right? I, I'm not I'm not saying that you know, pray for me. I have a lot on my mind. No, I know everybody's got a lot on their mind. But I'm laying there, and at nighttime, when everything's quiet, there's no distractions. That's when it all hits you. You know, you're just going, I don't know. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking I'm trying to fall asleep, and I'm thinking just go to sleep. And all of a sudden, I hear myself. Mm. It's weird. One time Jenny goes, are you okay? Like, I think I am. I don't know why I did that, you know? But that happens almost every night. I'm super tired and I'm laying there and I'm thinking and just, and I come to a frustrating point in my thought process where I have no answers and I'll do that. It's weird. 
It's the Lord. I really think it is. I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm not one of those guys that says, and I groan in the Spirit. You know, and I don't know. Um, but I know that when I'm at a frustrated point and I don't know how to pray and I don't know the answer to the solution because I, and you can't pray then. I can't pray, God, give me this or do that or switch this. I come to a, 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 a point where I have no idea. That happens. I just groan. It's a little thing. It's a tiny little thing, but it's not of me. I didn't decide to do it. That's the scary part of it for me. I'm like, uh, I didn't say, hmm, I didn't do that. It's just a, a involuntary, hmm. It's weird. I think it's the Lord. I really do. It's been happening more and more. As I get older, it's happening more and more. In other words, I don't know what I think I know more and more and more. And I cry out to God. And I'm glad. I'm glad he knows how to pray. I'm glad my Holy Spirit that lives in me knows what I need to pray for and how to pray. And I just have to trust whatever was said was right. And I pray it's answered. I just say, kind of go, I, when I'm done with that groan, I say, amen. <laughs> I agree, whatever was said. I don't know, but it was right. Amen. So he helps us. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't have the answers. You know, prayer has never been used or isn't to be used for us to make our will done here on earth. Never, ever designed that way. That's not what prayer is. That's how prayer is used, not most, but a lot of the time. God, answer this prayer. Fix this problem. Do this one thing. I'll be waiting. That's not what it was for. Prayer is always meant to get God's will done on earth. It's always meant that way. It's always been meant to bring God's will. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. He says, as it is in heaven, I want it done here on earth, as it is in heaven. In other words, I don't know what my will is or what uh, your will is, but I want your will to be done here on earth like it is in heaven. That's what prayer is supposed to be. Pray like that, Jesus said. Not pray that prayer, but pray like this. And so that's what he does. The Holy Spirit intercedes. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to bring this up. I don't know what you want to do here. Then just let me pray. I'll do it right. And he does. I don't want to pray that way. Jesus prayed that way. In the garden, you know. If there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And it wasn't his will for the cup to pass from him, which is what Christ asked for. But because he ended it with your will be done, it was. He was crucified. And thank goodness that he was, because that's why I'm saved. So pray that way. Your will be done, God. And I'm okay with it. I think that's the most important part. Your will be done, and I'm okay with whatever your will is. It's okay either way. And whatever happens, that's just fine. So, now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's good news. He's always praying for us the right way. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's probably the most important scripture we could ever memorize. And we know. Do we know? Do I know or do I remember? I want to know in my heart that all things, not some things, not most things, all things work together for good to those 
who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's how none of those things moved Paul. None of those things moved him. Not even the persecution, the being beaten with rods, not being stoned with rocks. None of those things moved him. All those things worked together for good for those who love God, and he did. And were called according to a purpose, which he was. And so are you, and so am I. Don't worry about it. That was an untimely event. I don't think so. I don't think there is such a thing as an untimely event. Well, that was unfortunate, or that what, what a run of bad luck. I don't think so. Not if you're a Christian. Not if, you're, not if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. Not at all. Not at all. And what peace that brings, what rest that brings. It's not rolling with the punches. It's, this is it. For whom he foreknew, here's, here we go. Here's the process. Here's what he's doing with each of us. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That all goes together on purpose. It's a string of events that God has put in place. And it's meant to bring assurance from start to finish. If he foreknew you, which he did, and he predestined you, which he did. Some people get confused and think that I don't believe in predestination. I absolutely believe in predestination. But I believe that predestination came off of his, what he said first, his foreknowledge. It's absolutely true. The Bible teaches predestination. It's absolutely a fact, but it doesn't mean that he bypasses my will in the process. He foreknew that my will was going to be to choose him, and so he predestined me. It's very simple. I believe in both, absolute free will and complete sovereignty of God. Both are absolutely true. But this is not meant to be an argument that we're supposed to divide in the body of Christ for. Paul wrote it for one specific reason, not to get people confused, but to bring assurance. Don't you understand he foreknew you? That's nice to know. And then he predestined you. He chose you. Don't you know that I chose you and you didn't choose me, Jesus said? That's supposed to be encouraging. The problem with it the other way around is, what if I chose you, but you really didn't want me on the team? Sometimes we act like there's a line of people and Satan's saying, I want him, and Jesus saying, I want him, and Satan's saying, I want him, and, and you were the last one and you got picked to be on Jesus' team. I don't know if he really wanted me or not. He didn't pick me first. I'm kind of the scrub. I'm kind of the guy that can't catch. I run funny. And we live our lives that way in Christ. And no, no, no. Jesus says simply, you didn't choose me. I chose you on purpose. Oh. No one ever chose me on purpose. I tricked my wife, you know. You chose me on purpose. It's meant to bring assurance. I foreknew you. I predestined you. And since I predestined you, I also have also called you. And since I've called you, I'm also going to justify you. And I justified you, I also glorified you. You know, it's all past tense. That's the ED at the end of all these things. It's already happened as far as he's concerned. I foreknew you. Well, there's no ED there. But I predestined. I conformed. I justified. I glorified. I called. I missed that one. I'm sorry. 
keep those things in order, but it's all happened as far as God's concerned. Past, present, and future, it's already done. Foredue, justified, glorified, done. I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven in Christ. You're going to heaven in Christ. You're going to be justified. You're going to be glorified. These things have all taken place as far as God's concerned. They just haven't happened yet. You're still hoping for them. But when in God's mind they've happened and he's sharing us, sharing with us the mind of Christ. So rest. Be assured. Know. Don't think. Not, don't guess. Don't know. Mm, what then? Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, this is where he builds up. This is the final part of the speech before they go out into the field. What then shall we say to these things that I've shared with you, if they're absolutely true, if you believe what I've told you? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. No one can be against me. Not even Satan. He can't get me. No one can be against us. He can try. He can fight but he can't win. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one. That's the idea. These are rhetorical questions. I don't know if you've ever had a kid before, but imagine sacrificing your child for somebody else who hates you. Probably wouldn't do it. But God did. And if God has gone that far for you and for me, why are we worried about all these tiny things in our lives? Don't you think he's going to finish it? Do you think he'd actually throw his son under the bus for your sake and not finish what he did when he began that process? Of course he's going to. I'm not going to just let my son die on the cross and eh, throw you out later on because I didn't like the way you walked that day. No, I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to finish it. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? These are all rhetorical questions. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one. He's the judge. He's our lawyer. He's our, he's our payment. He's our teacher. He's the one doing the work. He's praying for us, and God always answers his prayer. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword in other words, those are the things you should expect, but none of those things can have an effect. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's when everybody runs out of the locker room and onto the field, screaming and yelling, right? Assurance, assurance. You're super saved. You're really, really saved. You're really, really going to go to heaven. This is really, really all done in the past tense, and now all we really, really have to do is live for him. That's it. 
be led of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance you give us. You didn't want us to flounder. You didn't want us to squeak by. You didn't want us to live a life of doubt and fear. Lord, you gave us a life of victory. You gave us a life of conquering, overcoming, winning. And we need to walk that way, God. It's happened. We're going to heaven. You've You've got the victory. You've already beaten that which we were feared the most, which was death and hell. But you've won that. And we're no longer going there. And that's not going to happen to us. We're going to live forever with you. And now we wait for it to take place in hope. And while we're waiting in hope, Lord, help us to share this hope with those around us so that they might have the same assurance that they no longer look at the monkey and identify more with it than with you. Help us to bring them to your son Jesus by the Holy Spirit that they might be baptized into Christ and Christ might baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And that they then begin to look and be conformed into the image of your son and not into the image of this world and what it's trying to make them. Brute beasts driven by the appetites of their flesh, living for the day, for tomorrow they die, living for the weekend, living for their own carnal desires and not living to the expectation that you have, God. We were created in your image. We were made in your image. We're meant to look like you, be like you, act like you, holy like you're holy. Or we want to be that way ourselves, God. We thank you for this assurance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.